Welcome to Clockworks, a Legion podcast. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And it is well past time that we got back to Legion. It is well past time. Time. <laughs> we're running. Sorry for that we're running. Our clock is running. No, but... you, you had it, Paul. You had it. Well, um... You can't keep going. Uh, you had it. T- t- wind that, wind the clock. Hey guys, <laughs> it has been a long time, and let's see if we remember how to podcast. Before we really begin, I have to like our plan had been to start as soon as this season of Legion started, and life happened, and mm-hmm. we're a little behind. We're gonna do our very best to catch up. So, we're enthusiastic about this season of Legion, we're enthusiastic about this season of Clockworks, let's get going. Absolutely. Today we are talking about the season premiere of Season 3 of Legion, that's Episode 1 of Season 3 of Legion, Chapter 20 of Legion. We're calling this episode 2,000 Light Years From Home. This episode was written by Noah Hawley and Nathaniel Halpern and directed by Andrew Stanton. Noah Hawley, of course, created the show, and Nathaniel Halpern co-wrote nine of the eleven episodes of season two, so we've seen lots from both of these people before. Andrew Stanton directed Finding Nemo, Up, Finding Dory, yes, it's that Andrew Stanton. Uh, He also, yeah, the Pixar director directed this episode of Legion. He also directed two episodes of Stranger Things and an episode of Better Call Saul, by the way. Mm. And he directed John Carter, a movie which I maintain is criminally underrated. So underrated. People, it was like panned, but it was very fun. Nobody watched it and everyone was like, but it was great. I really liked it. I recommend it. Go watch uh, John Carter. It, they should have just stuck with John Carter of Mars as the title. They took out Mars because they were scared that Mars movies don't make money, which superstition is a self-fulfilling prophecy. But he did a great job directing that movie, and he did a great job directing this episode of Legion. Yes, he did. Do you want to take us through the synopsis? I, I don't know uh, what we call it. Walk, walk us through... Uh, the summary, the... We usually call it the beat by beat. The beat by beat <laughs> of this episode, Jan. The tick by talk. Tick oh, wait, by no, no, no. Yeah, the tick by talk. Yes. I don't make the puns on this show. <laughs> no, you've infected my brain. I'm totally calling it the like, tick by talk from now on. Okay, no. go. All right. Oh, man, you guys, I'm so excited to be back talking about Legion again. So... We start with a test pattern on a TV screen that says, please stand by, and eventually changes to bedtime is here before shutting off. We zoom out to see a young girl. Um, I'm just going to pull back the curtain and say her name is Jai. She becomes known as Switch very quickly after we learn her name. I'll refer to her as Switch because, yeah. That's how she's listed in the credits, right? Exactly. So we zoom out to see a young girl, Switch, with red headphones. A voice speaks in Mandarin, and words appear on the screen about lessons in time travel, chapter 13. 
Switch gets ready for her day while listening to the lesson. She eats in a large dining room where a TV is wheeled in with a man eating, presumably her father. He asks about A man her eating her father? <laughs> That's very disturbing. A man eating noodles. <laughs> the man is presumably her father. Uh, I understand. You're way too giddy for this. <laughs> I I am giddy. I'm excited too. Okay. I won't, I won't interrupt unless I really need to. Go he on. asks her about her day, and then the TV is wheeled out again. She walks down the street and reads a sign mentioning the basket head, the mustaches, and saying to find the pregnant virgin. Later, she walks down the street and finds graffiti of the pregnant virgin. Following that to a sign that tells her to follow the orange fish with a radio address of 89.1. Later in her bedroom, she tunes to the station, and we hear Lenny's voice saying, Why is it blue? It's always blue. He tells her to find his, his message by going back. She draws light in the air and repeats her action, this time slowing down time to hear David's message. Follow the yellow bus. The next day, she spots a red bus with a message about the pregnant virgin, and notices at the last moment that on the back is written, Yellow bus. She follows the passengers to a door in an alleyway. So, I want to start with, like, this, uh, please stand by, the test pattern opening. Mm -hmm. Because, first of all, I mean, I feel like I need a disclaimer, especially since it's been a long time since we've recorded an episode of Clockworks, that you're going to hear me say the following phrase a lot of times. I love it. Okay, mm -hmm. now I'm going to start. Okay. So, first of all, I love it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this opening, this test pattern opening. And it strikes me that it's accomplishing two different and equally important things that are kind of mutually exclusive, but that's exactly great, right? Mm -hmm. So, the test pattern opening that says, uh, please stand by. Like the first question I have is who is standing by Twitch or I mean Switch or us? I think it's us. Yeah, I think feel like it's us. And this test pattern, please stand by, is deliberately alienating. And mm -hmm. it's deliberately it's something we've noticed about Legion as a TV show before. But it is like um it's Brechtian. Yeah. It's drawing such deliberate attention to the fact that you are about to watch a TV show on a TV screen. Mm -hmm. What you're going to watch is a piece of fiction and it, it it prevents you from, like it's working against you suspending your disbelief by throwing into your face, this is a TV show, <laughs> please well, stand feel, by. I feel like with the last season, we were, in the first episode of the last season, we were really invited into the madness yeah. and in this, this episode we're pushed out to like, nope, you're watching a TV show. Yeah. So we really have um the the very just like the very first image of each season just doing very different things that the first the very first episode the first season was just kind of like this is a standard TV show here's like the back history of David. Yeah, and the then very we have first image of the first season I do I remember correctly that it was baby? It's trees and trees. then a baby. Right. And that song. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we have these three di very different beginnings to the different seasons. Mm -hmm. And going into this new season, 
we a little bit know more what to expect, which is we have no idea what to expect. <laughs> because when we went into season two, having seen season one, we went into season two and we were like, oh, this is like way different. Everything's changed. Everything's like they're with the division now. It's a year later. It's whatever. But we went to this season going, okay, everything's going to be different. Yep. Who knows how much time has passed? Yep. And and so they're pushing us out in different ways. So like, don't get too comfortable. And I was thinking, um, we said this already to each other, but uh, that again, what to expect coming into season three of Legion, I feel more prepared for it than I was season two of Legion. And like the other Noah Hawley show is Fargo mm-hmm. and Fargo's an anthology series. And there's like some connection between, but like, Every season is a completely different story. Yeah. And I feel like what Legion, what season two prepared me to expect from season three, and that so far I'm getting in season three, is Legion is like an anthology series that isn't an anthology series. Yeah. Like, it's, what if I took the approach of an anthology series and used it to tell one long ongoing story? Yeah. So every season is like... Forget what you knew. <laughs> yeah. Or remember what you knew, but like, we're going to reinvent what we already knew, just even from a, the visual language of the show perspective. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I wanted to say about this uh, test pattern opening is it turns into bedtime is here. Mm-hmm. And that does the other thing that prepares us for this episode and this season and what this show is like is it's... That's doing something different from the Brechtian alienating, hey, remember how this is a TV show. It's uh, highlighting the surrealism of the show and invoking the idea of dream. Mm -hmm. You're about to enter a dream world. Absolutely. And then the logic, especially the visual logic of the show, is very dreamlike. And I've, I've mentioned before, we've mentioned before, that the two aesthetic and artistic... The two strongest and clearest artistic and aesthetic uh, influences on this show are surrealism and psychedelic art. Mm -hmm. And surrealism is a early modern art form that deliberately and uh, consciously, like it is, its mission is to make art that gives the same experience as dreams. Yeah. And psychedelia, its mission is to achieve in psychedelic art its explicit uh, stated goal as an, so far as there is one, as an artistic form, is to achieve in art the same experience as hallucinogenic drugs uh, create. So bedtime is here, is inviting us into both of those states of like, Prepare yourself for a TV show that's fiction, that's not real, and also is going to be surreal and psychedelic. Yeah. And we get that in the first three seconds of the show. Yeah. Then. Then. <laughs> so we get lessons in time travel. Yeah. Is the very first thing we we get. And uh, I had assumed that the, that the language is Japanese until uh, the second episode where they tell us that it's Chinese. It's Mandarin. I watched it. I, I knew it wasn't Japanese immediately. Because of the sounds. Uh, 
but I watched it the second time through. I watched it with subtitles. And so mm. the subtitles say, speaking in Mandarin. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's Lessons in Time Travel, Chapter 13. So that got me looking at what, first of all, will we hear chapters 1 to 12 at some point? Who knows? Because in this episode, we hear chapter 14. Mm-hmm. I didn't pay attention to we hear chapter 15, but we go forward in the chapters. I think we do hear chapter 15. We don't? No. Hmm? No. Only no. 13 and 14. Okay. Um, but since it's time travel I wonder, are we going to eventually hear chapters 1 to 12? Yeah. Or something from that? And the other thing I thought when it was chapter 13 was, what's chapter 13 of Legion? Oh. What is it? Chapter 13 of Legion is the episode where we learn that Amy is dead and Lenny is in Amy's body. Ooh, interesting. So I don't like, so chapter 13 is the one where David loses his anchor to the past. Mm Mm-hmm. And then we have chapter 13 of the time travel lessons is nostalgia is your enemy. Don't, like, don't hold on to the past if you're going to travel to it yeah and then the time travel lessons okay all past is future first of all i think that is uh, the, the two things all past is future and time travel is a state of mind i was watching that and thinking i actually think that might be literally true <laughs> I've been thinking a lot since this episode, and also for other reasons in my real life. I've been thinking a lot about time and whether it's actually a thing. (laughs) Is time actually real? I saw, I heard like a kids radio science show that said like, time is, is a coordinate, like up, down, left, right, and in time so you can find someone. And I was like, that's both true and also missing the point of like... It's a completely inadequate (laughs) actual engagement with what time is. I've been thinking, like, I think maybe the past literally does exist in our memory. Because if time is a coordinate, why can't we actually, in real life, travel to it? Mm Mm-hmm. So time exists, time travel is a state of mind. I think that might actually be literally true. Time isn't literally... In real life, time isn't linear. Hmm. Because we don't remember it linearly, and therefore it doesn't exist linearly. And then it also, like, if we travel to the... If time is a state of mind, then time travel is a mental superpower. She's not manipulating the world. She's she's a psychic power. Hmm. Right? That's interesting. So if it's a psychic power, then David could have it. Then David could have it. Well, he he already does. I know. Because he traveled in time in the the deprivation tank. Yeah. Or something. Or something. I think he's not quite aware. He's, he continues to not be aware of all of his powers. Yeah. But like, I am calling right now and uh, for, you know... We have seen, you and I have seen episode two as we're recording this, but we haven't seen episode three. So I'm calling right now 
that David will learn to time travel without Switch eventually. Mm -hmm. Because they are seeding right here in the very beginning of this episode that time travel is a psychic power. Mm -hmm. Okay, so moving on to the signs that she sees. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to read out what is on those signs because they go by, by quickly. So if you've been watching this, if you're just watching Legion once like a regular person <laughs> like a you, might, you might not have paused <laughs> and read everything that was on this sign so the first sign that she sees is are you indivisible know yourself own yourself beware the forces of mind control those who would tell you your name who would call an arm a leg they are not your mother not your father find your stable center do you want to be whole of mind and body free from division intoxicate yourself but beware the basket is watching. And then it's kind of cut off. Would call normal abnormal. Beware of the homogeny of milk, the industrialization of cheese. Mm. No two cookies are alike unless they are cut from the machine. Don't trust the mustache. The mustache is his eyes and ears. He slash she is everywhere. If you see him, her, hold your breath. Think only of cookies made by hand at home. For only they are indivisible. How can I find out more? Find the pregnant virgin. Okay. So, like, think so about cookies. <laughs> I mean, there's... Uh, it's both funny and not funny. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know? Like, yeah, it's yeah. meant to be funny, but it's also meant to be, like... You know, intoxicate yourself. This is the place that... David has made is a place to intoxicate yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the opposite of what you might see on a sign like this of like, you know, free yourself by purifying yourself. It's the opposite. Yeah. And they're like, I almost, we, we, I think of them as such different words that I almost didn't notice. Like I'd got to the end of the episode before I noticed that division three, like the forces of division. Yeah. Is Division 3. Is, is Division 3, yeah. Like, I just thought that that was... He was... I was kind of caught up in his new mind frame. Like, the forces of Division. They're trying to break things up. Sure. He's about unity. But then, like, no. They call themselves Division 3. And also, that like, the cookies... No two cookies are alike unless they're made by the machine. That, like... There's an actual... Like, it's absurd... As you say, it's funny and it's absurd. Beware the homogenization of milk. The industrialization of cheese is, like, supposed to be ridiculous and absurd. But it also, uh, there's a real anxiety in the show from the very beginning. Like, think about David and Sid in the mental institution. And Sid saying in the first episode or the second episode or whichever one it is. And Sid being like, if you don't conform to what society wants, they call you insane. Mm -hmm. Einstein was insane. Picasso was insane. And David's like, are you Einstein or Picasso in this scenario? And she's like, whatever, I'm just saying. And it's kind of the same message here. Yeah. The machine, which is like... Man. The man. And I mean, we have these mustachioed people who are all the same, who are cookie cutters versions of each other. And so it's and are literally taken, machines. Yeah. To, and like, so it's taken to the extreme, but it's also, uh, yeah, it's true that David is trying to be unique amongst a world that wants everybody to be the same. 
but there's also a paradox there because on one like the again the like the commune cult and they're wearing all this tie-dye and they're being very like outlandish and bizarre and it's a aesthetic and ideological contrast to the vermilions who all dress exactly the same and have and look exactly the same but at the same time he's not actually offering them freedom and individuality he's uh drugging them and controlling their minds mm-hmm. it's like a false individuality and they, what he's offering them is the kind of like different cookies but they're all cookie cutter too yeah that's a good point it's just a different mold mm-hmm. so the second sign that she reads says time traveler ah are you I love it. I love it. <laughs> That's so funny. Forces of mu- multiplication need you. Resist division. Do not surrender to regret. Only you can help us unwrite the past. But beware the basket is watching. Find the orange fish. Do not surrender to regret. That's Do not like surrender similar to, to what the time travel lesson is telling her, right? Yeah, exactly. You're not... Yeah, like, don't change the past or what, like... Yeah. Help us unwrite the past. It's like the time travel lesson is beware nostalgia, don't regret, and don't... I forget the exact language that he uses, but it's like, look at the future with no anxiety and at the past with no regret. Mm-hmm. And it is like another paradox, right? The only way to change the past is to look at it with no regret, but if you have no regret, why do you want to change it? Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> Very zen. Yep. This, by the way, uh, Switch is played by Lauren Tsai. This is her acting debut. Yeah. She's a model. She's played herself on re- and on reality shows and stuff, so she's been on TV. But this is her acting debut. And like, She's doing so well. Yeah, she's great. Okay, get that out of the way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So when she's in her bedroom, Mm -hmm. beside her on the the nightstand is a a big hourglass. So like, obviously, time, time travel. And then one of those drinky birds. Yep. That we used to own one of them. We did. uh, That probably people know from The Simpsons, if you're our age, that like... You know, the drinky... I'm making a motion with my hand that you cannot see. (laughs) Little seesaw drinky bird that keeps going down to the glass of water. Well, if you have ever owned one of these, you know that the liquid in them is red, but it isn't in the show. The The liquid in this one is blue. It's got the blue... Why is it blue? Why is it blue? It's always blue. Yeah, So I I thought that was a clever little thing that... Just to have that little drinky bird doing his thing, but he's got blue liquid instead of red. Is that a sign that David's influence is already there? Yeah, exactly. Right? Well, they're already looking for her, and she's a time traveler. So yeah. He, yeah, of course. So it doesn't matter the order that things happen. Yep. <laughs> she also, while we're talking about the decor in her room, she has our cat clock on her wall. It's also memorable from The Simpsons. Uh... But the, on her wall, she has that cat clock with the tail that goes back and forth and the eyes that look left and right. And first of all, it's notable because it's a conspicuous clock and she's a time traveler. 
it's also like an element of kitsch that uh contributes to decentering this whole episode in this whole series in time in terms of its setting mm-hmm. because it's not it's a it's a old-fashioned looking for something set in the present but also when is this set mm-hmm. which we've been over lots of times but it also is our like we have that cat clock and, and it and it and i took a picture of it and it's it is our avatar on patreon yeah it's kind of our unofficial symbol for clockworks so it's like they were they know about us, Paul. It's like, I think it was a shout out. I think was, we can fairly say. I think we can fairly say <laughs> that the cat clock is a shout out to Clockworks, the podcast. I really love the draw in the air effect that she does. Mm-hmm. It's really simple, but evocative. So good. And like at this point, I don't think it's as obvious at this point, but later in the episode, she'll do it again and again. Uh, and maybe this is an appropriate time to bring this up. It's not a rectangle. Hmm. There's yes. Two of the sides are straight lines, and then one of the down lines is always a curve. Hmm. What's up with that? I did not know. I didn't even notice that. I thought it was kind of like half a door. Yeah, but it's not a rectangular door. Um, I don't know if that has any significance. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like casually, like it's drawn by a finger. It's not drawn yeah, it, to be I, perfect. Uh, maybe. I don't think so. I Because it's always identical. Hmm. It's always exactly straight up, exactly straight across, curve on the way down. Hmm. It's a distinctive shape that is not a rectangle. And I like... Is, I it, can, ma- is it a mathematical shape? That's possible. If so, I don't recognize it. And I can, like, make up wild, uh, insubstantiated <laughs> theories. But, like, you know, it's if you think about time, it suggests that time is not a straight line. Mm. I think. Yeah. Speaking of things that are not what they seem. <laughs> which oh, I is, thought you were going to say, time. speaking of things that are not uh, substantiated. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, the bus... Mm. So we have, like, it's like, follow the yellow bus, and she sees a big, like, red, like a double-decker London bus, and it's got all this, like, pregnant virgin, it has, I can't remember what it says on the side of it, something, and and so, like, it looks like it is the bus, but then it's not the bus because it's not the right color, but then yellow bus is written on the back, and so all of that to say... It's something that appears differently than it is. It's this, uh, you assume it's one thing and then it's not. The clues are pointing you to, this is the bus I should be following, but there's something wrong about it. Until I look at it a different way. Until I understand that the clue was, I mean like, and is the red, the red bus a red herring? Yeah. (laughs) Right. It's deliberate misdirection on the show's part. I mean, clearly, again, for both humor and for a more profound meaning. Yeah. It's obviously funny that the yellow bus is red. Yeah. Then it also, yeah, things aren't what they seem. You can't understand things at first. That's partly because we are deliberately denying you some of the information you need to understand them. 
You're going to make assumptions and conclusions that'll seem completely rational based on the information you have, and then it'll will reveal that we were that the information you had was incomplete. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. So moving on. Mm-hmm. So Switch enters the building with the pregnant virgin symbol on the door. She finds racks and racks of clothing with a woman sitting at the end. The racks keep moving and disorienting her until she goes through the clothes. She finds several people with name tags standing at desks. She talks to a woman with a sign in Japanese asking for the pregnant virgin's name. At first she thinks she doesn't know until she realizes that it's Salmon. And then a musical number. <laughs> uh, halfway, th- halfway through the musical number, they surround her and change her clothes and the color of her headphones. Uh, the group then creates a hexagonal tunnel, which she crawls through into a transparent tunnel that takes her over a city, over the, by the forest, under the sea, and finally ending in a room with a bunch of hippies doing drugs. Yeah. Uh, the pregnant woman named Salmon greets her and there's a blue liquid running through the walls created by David's mind. Salmon introduces her to Squirrel, the alchemist. Uh, Jai attempts to introduce herself, but Squirrel renames her Switch. In the hallway, Lenny is drumming, and David's face is on a lunchbox. Mm-hmm. So after all this, like, 20 minutes, we finally see our characters that we recognize. I know, right? <laughs> um, I noticed, like, I took note, it is minute 16 when we hear Jai's name. Mm. And immediately we change it. Yeah. When I mean, you've been calling her Switch, you said you would. But, like, as a viewer of the episode... Again, in terms of, like, deliberately disorienting and alienating, we're 16 minutes into the episode before we hear the character, before we have a name to give the character we have been with. And the character we have been with is a new character who is, it is not at all clear how she is connected to the story that we have had for the last two seasons. I mean, there's the divisions and the mustache. There's some breadcrumbs. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, like, another four minutes or so, and we finally see David's face this on a lunchbox. This show requires a lot of trust it... from its audience. And I am willing to give it to them <laughs> because of how much we've had it pay off. But I can really see where this would lose some people. Yeah. Again and again, they do things like this to just, like, to shove you out but also to draw you in of like, well, who's this person who we now have to spend a whole bunch of time with? It reminds me of the last episode of season one where we just spend like 15 minutes with Clark and his whole history and his family. And we're like, can we get back to David though? And there's so much, there's such a high degree of confidence that comes with that. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, a specific kind of confidence that, like, I don't care if you watch it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like, exactly. You don't want to watch it, don't watch it. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I, like, 
I'm not pandering to you. Yep. <laughs> yep, exactly. It's the exact opposite of a pandery show. Yes, yes. So true. So when she steps into the, like, warehouse of clothes, this is another labyrinth. Yeah. Welcome to the maze, again. Yeah. Which is a callback to last season. And the last season was really fixated on mazes and labyrinths, and this season we're not naming that. But we get the labyrinth again, and we get a hexagon again. Mm-hmm. There's a real connection to season two here in this white room with clothes. Here in this Gap commercial from the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're, I'm going to talk about the music in the show at the end, but I want to just call out the like, I, I, I uh, did a little happy dance when they started singing. <laughs> yep. Same. Same. I love this show for its musical numbers. This was a such a good musical number and so welcome. Mm-hmm. And like, also, the, uh, the song has been in my head ever since like, we watched the episode. Mm, yeah. Uh, but it's like, the sense of that Switch reacts to the person starts singing, you know, like you would. Yeah. <laughs> like, she's so disoriented mm-hmm. and so like what she plays very very alienated from the things that are happening around her just as you would if suddenly people started singing and doing a choreographed number all around you like and she doesn't react more than just in stupef- stupefaction i really really like it mm-hmm. I think it was such a good number so well choreographed, so well shot, and, like, so bizarre. Yeah. I mean, you're really gushing. I like this musical number, but I think that it is not as good as previous musical numbers. I don't... I think it kind of pales in comparison to, like, season two musical number with Lenny and Oliver dancing and David dancing. I will agree. The first... The musical number in... The pi- the first episode of the first two seasons, and the second episode is that big dance number with Lenny and Oliver and David, mm-hmm. and in the first season is the, like... French Bollywood. French Bollywood. I agree those two are better. This doesn't quite live up to them. But on its own, taken on its own terms, if I come to this just expecting an episode of television... Yes. I was delighted by it. Yeah. Yeah. The, all the clothing on the racks in all of its like monochrome things, it just really felt like they just took Legion's wardrobe Hmm. department and put it on set because a lot of those, I don't see any specific pieces from specific characters, but our characters wear single colors. And so... Have racks and racks of single colored clothes makes sense. I didn't think of it like that, but it all it does make sense. It does look like what I imagine is the wardrobe uh, department of a TV show because many yeah. copies of the same outfit. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like, I don't know anything about the wardrobe department of a TV show, but what I imagine it to be: many copies of the same outfit, lots of monochrome, kind of yeah. It's like they brought the costume department on set today. Yeah. So you didn't mention <laughs> when she arrives 
after traveling through the tunnel mm-hmm. in the hippie room when all the hippies are having are doing drugs, there's a giant pig. Yeah, that's a thing. <laughs> what's what's the deal with the giant pig, Jan? Explain the giant pig to me. I don't. I I get you have to explain because I I asked first. <laughs> So first of all, it's a sow. Yes. Is pig it's, gendered? Pig is is either one. Pig is either no? one. But it's just okay. Okay. It's yeah. This giant sow. Yeah. That is like the size of like the people's heads are smaller than her teats. Yeah. So like she's really, really, really big. She's bigger than the bus. Yes. Um, she is imaginary. <laughs> she is. Is she? And what they're suckling, uh, and then they like blow out smoke, and she's sucking on like a giant water bottle, a giant bottle, like a of the blue liquid of the blue liquid. Yeah, and then like blowing out smoke. And we've had in the previous seasons, like animal pottery like yeah. little animals that you put the liquid in and it breathes out smoke well i mean this is just another what was with the cow <laughs> more barnyard animals it's more barnyard animals that make no sense <laughs> so yeah we'll just say they're barnyard animals that make no sense right and i think i'll have more to say about that next episode <laughs> I want to, like, before we... I don't have much more to say about this section, except that Salmon we've seen before. Yes. But we shouldn't have a name before. Mm-hmm. And I went back and checked and double-checked that in the credits, it, she's, she never is given a name up till now. Mm-hmm. In the credits, she's blonde girl, and she refers to herself as the new Janine. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but that she, this is the same actress as the new Janine from last season. And she said last season that she was pregnant. Yes. So we already knew she was pregnant. Yes. With Lenny's baby somehow. Yes. And then Squirrel, uh, in... When we see the new Janine, and her name is the new Janine, and Lenny is there, and they, uh, there's a man there who introduce, who Lenny goes to first, who introduces her to the new Janine. That man's name is Squirrel. That is not the same actor. Uh... So that's a weird. Hmm. <laughs> it was a white guy. Yeah. So it's like it's not even. They're not even kind of. Uh, maybe no one noticed that we recast this character. It's conspicuously he looks nothing like. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's any significance to the tunnel that she crawls through over all these weird different places? Someone. I can't remember where someone pointed out that it is just like the tunnel that uh, Fry climbs through in Futurama in the first episode. Really? Yeah, like, there's Fry goes underwater, he goes over the city, he goes over a boat, a cruise ship. (laughs) And, like, there's... That's a weird reference. It's it's a a weird reference. reference. (laughs) Maybe that's a coincidence. I find it hard to believe that it is. Yeah. It's also a birth metaphor, much like the tunnels that we crawled in last season in Sid's dream. Yes. 
this is her emerging into a different place through a tunnel. I mean, there's a lot of crawling in between, but this is another rebirth. And I think that that is what is intended is like you have this group of this new group of people and she's coming into their like cult mm-hmm. and they rebirth her or they birth her through the through this hexagon tunnel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think exactly right. So moving on, Switch is locked in a room with a huge clock. She kneels in the middle of the room and makes time go faster. Lenny enters, holding a giant hammer. She (laughs) grows a couch out of the floor and then talks to Switch. Lenny asks her to prove that she's a time traveler, but Switch will only speak to David. In a round pit cave thing, (laughs) David (laughs) emerges from a door that is on a porch area. (laughs) He brings out tea and they sit together. He shows Switch his power by entering her mind and showing her mental space. David essentially recaps the last two seasons, claiming he's better now. He repeatedly asks how she is, and she tells a story of how her dad has collects robots and she pretends that she is one. David talks about the psych wards and names Farouk as his monster. So the room with the big clock, I mean, from like a production standpoint, it draws the viewer's attention to the fact that time is happening yeah it's uh like that part isn't very complicated if you're gonna have time changing having a clock conspicuously in the room makes that much more clear for the audience mm-hmm. um and also like in terms of the imagery the visual language and imagery and therefore the thematic imagery of this episode this episode is all about time yeah. And not just time travel, mm-hmm. but like there are clocks, different kinds of clocks, a cat clock, an hourglass, a giant clock. A, like we are really interested in this episode in time and the passage of time. Mm-hmm. I mean, our our show is named Clockworks after the hospital Clockworks. And so clocks have been in this show from the start. Yeah. There have been clocks without hands. There have been clocks that don't work. Clocks that it's just, yeah, clocks have been everywhere. This show is about time. And I think finally this season we're seeing a new, like, idea of there's actual time travel. Yeah, for sure. Which I called all along. Thank you very much. You sure did. Well, I don't know if all along. You definitely called it in the last episode of the first season. Did you call it before then? Yes, I did. Okay. Um, did you notice the giant eye appear in the clock? I did notice the giant eye in the, appear in the clock. So what is did that, that remind you of? Is that David's eye? But it also, of course, reminds you of the first season when Lenny's eyes were big on the wall. Yeah. If the white gap room was full of shoutouts to season two, this room has some substantial shoutouts to season one. Yeah. With the big eye on the wall, and then with the, just as you say, clockworks, where we're interested in clocks we weren't really interested in clock imagery nearly as much in season two season one tons season three so far tons Mm -hmm. switch waits in the room and it starts at 11 10 and then she moves forward to 240 okay i was hoping you'd note the times because i did not (laughs) so it's 
like three and a half hours Mm -hmm. that she's in the room, but it's only like 10 seconds. Yeah. And then Lenny comes in, sorry for the wait, was it awful? Like, we have seen throughout, and this is like emphasizing Lenny's sadism. Oh yeah, she's so sadistic. She keeps her in the room exactly to torture her. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's interesting in terms of the power dynamic between Lenny and Switch that that we're establishing already here. That, like, Lenny is trying to torture Switch and it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. She's trying to uh, establish an upper hand the second yeah. she meets her. And unsuccessfully. Mm-hmm. What's with the big hammer? What is with the big hammer? She... Lenny is... Lenny. <laughs> I mean, she likes a grand entrance. Like, she has her, like, silly entrance with her minions bringing her in. She bells. Yeah, she's threatening. Holding a big hammer makes her more threatening. Yeah. Uh, She's also, like you said, establishing herself as dominant, but immediately undercut when Switch is like, I'm here because you asked me to be here. She says, Switch says, I'm not looking for you, you're looking for me. Exactly. Man. Yeah. The pa- they're, like, making really clear the power dynamic between them, that Lenny is used to being the powerful one in any relationship, and she does not have power over Switch. No. And that's interesting, because Switch is all- has seemed, up till now, despite her superpowers... She has seemed, like, on the back foot. She has seemed, like, very wide-eyed and what is going on here. And then when Lenny tries to intimidate her, it is completely unsuccessful. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then we have, like, the cave, David's cave. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you notice that his house, with the porch, his house is green? Hmm. Like Amy is green. Yeah. Like Amy always wore green, especially in the first season. Yeah. And so his house represents homeliness. Mm-hmm. Represents his past. Is in the same color scheme as Amy was. That is interesting. She never drinks the tea. Yeah. Also, when that. someone offers you tea and then brings out iced tea... What American nonsense is that? Yeah, that's another huge question. (laughs) He offers her tea and she doesn't drink it. That's very conspicuous and funny. But like also, let's pause for a moment and like when he says I'll make tea and then brings that iced tea, is that like him to uh, alien? Is that like a power trip? Uh put her off balance thing or is that just this is an american show and they don't know what tea is i i I don't know i feel like it's just weird american nonsense (laughs) (laughs) speak to us americans if someone says i'll make you tea do they do they mean ice tea do they mean cold tea what nonsense whatever i personally will choose a cold drink over a hot one 90 percent of the time but if someone offers me tea i'm expecting something hot yep Yep. Yeah, he recaps the first two seasons for her. 
Yeah. And and like we see the, the chalkboard animation thing behind him. Mm-hmm. Is that... Do you think she sees that? Is that something he can now just do? Project for her? Yeah. I think she sees everything that we see. Yeah. I think everything that we see on screen is he's physically manifesting. Mm-hmm. And I think we are cued... Like, if we had doubt about that, the fact... When Lenny makes a couch, that for me is the, the clue that when weird things happen, they happen in the world that the other characters can interact with. Yeah. And how is Lenny able to make a couch? She doesn't have David's powers. Is that her, like, using David's powers? Yeah, that's a good question. I just don't know. Okay. <laughs> yeah, me neither. I just, you know, I'm questioning things. Yeah, because at the end of, like, we're three seasons in and it's still not clear exactly who and what Lenny is. Mm-hmm. Because Lenny's not Benny. No. And is Lenny that we see here, like, to what degree is this the person from the mental hospital? At all? Like, 5%? Right? <laughs> so who is this? This even? is, like, it's like a combination of, like, Farouk's... Yeah. Manif- like, manifestation of his uh, control over David, plus actual Lenny from the hospital, plus Amy's body. It's just a mismatch. Yeah. Of... And so, like, does she have psychic powers because of Farouk's influence yeah somehow possibly it seems like some kind of powers and even in the even in season two we kind of saw that with things like when she's as Lenny not Farouk but she's like shooting with the sniper like that's a because of the weapon, but it's also she seems to be unreasonably competent at it. Right. Yeah. Right? Anyway. Did you feel like when David came out of the porch, like, finally, here <laughs> he bit. is. Yes. There he is. There's our guy. There's what the show was all about. <laughs> um, all right. So, oh, yeah, I did want to mention, this is uh, so typical Noah, Noah Hawley. David keeps asking her how she is, and finally she says how she is by telling him a story. Yeah. And the story is, my my father collects robots, and sometimes I pretend I am one. And I'm like, it's Switch wants to switch off. Mm-hmm. Switch doesn't want to be a, wants to be a robot. That's why she's called Switch. If she wants to switch off. I thought that off. the point I took from that story is that she is just like David, that she wants love. Mm, yeah, that's true too. And her her central motivation is, I'm a good person, I deserve love. But the love that she wants is her father's love, but it doesn't really matter whose. Yeah. And at this point, especially, David, it doesn't really... I mean, it's kind of Sid's love, but it doesn't really matter who's anymore. Yeah. Right? That's a good point. She pretends to be a robot because her father loves robots. Mm-hmm. And we've seen her, how isolated she is. Yeah, how she, like, talks to her father over a TV screen. Yeah. 
presumably her father. Who's the... I mean, and speaking back again to her isolation and her father, who's the voice in her headphones? Yeah. I have absolutely no idea, which is why I didn't bring it up until now. But, mm-hmm. like, she I... has this relationship with someone. I don't know. I feel like everything is connected in that we heard in the first season, we heard these mentions of time travel over like the loudspeaker at, at uh, Summerland. Yep. And, and so I feel like, well, there already are time travelers. And so there's someone who taught time travel at Summerland. And maybe this is connected back to that. Maybe this person on the tape is the person who teaches advanced time travel at Summerland. Exactly. And I said she has a relationship with the person on the tape. By the way, I want to make clear that I have noticed. Don't don't think I haven't noticed that it's a one-way relationship, but that still is a relationship. Like, she doesn't talk back to that person. Yeah. But that's still a relationship. Hmm. That's true. Moving on. Moving on. Outside the commune house, Squirrel squeezes blue liquid from a flower, drinks it, and relaxes, only to be startled awake by movement. He walks into the yard, and a giant hook pulls him out of frame. Division soldiers attack the house. Back in the cave, David asks how far back in time Switch can go when the commandos enter from the air. Carrie slices David's arm off. And he disintegrates her. He repels all the bullets, but then is shot from behind by Sid. Switch makes the light door in the air and enters the in-between space, where she listens again to a time travel lesson. Which includes, the further we go back in time, the more we risk waking the demon. (sighs) Okay, first... The, like, squirrel on the porch, drinking, drinking, now he's drinking tea. Um, (laughs) Squirrel, so they know that tea exists. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Squirrel on the porch, drinking tea, and then a hook comes in from off screen and pulls him out, and the teacup spirals in the air. Smash. I know. I love it. What? The show sometimes is, this? is so cartoony. It's so bizarre. Yeah, it's like straight out of like a Looney Tunes cartoon, that moment. And there's like, sometimes we talk, when we talk about superhero shows, sometimes we talk about them being comic booky or not, or like mm-hmm. realism or whatever. And like, comic booky, what does that mean? I, like, there are so many different genres and aesthetic approaches to comic books, right? Yeah. But this show is rare. I mean, it is, sometimes it's comic booky, but sometimes it like goes so far beyond that into just straight up Looney Tunes. Straight mm-hmm. up cartoon. It is Looney Tunes. <laughs> it is Looney Tunes. <laughs> and like, we get that, the, the teacup spinning in the air more than once. Like, you haven't recapped it yet, but... That shot is going to happen again. So, like, they're really drawing our attention to the fact that of the gravity-defying teacup. Yeah, exactly. It's just, once again, like, this is not real. You're watching a TV show. Yeah. You're watching exactly. something that is not 
we're not inviting you in. We're pushing you out now. I think you're. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. We finally see more people we recognize. Yeah, <laughs> we Carrie, and then immediately they die. And then immediately they die. But then we get oh, Carrie with her like katana sword or whatever, uh, chopping David's arm off, which was like pretty shocking. Yeah, that's even though surprise. like you know that there's a time travel there, so you know that it's probably gonna go back, but. Uh, and then he disintegrates her within the first few seconds of seeing her again. And then Sid shooting him. Yeah. Which is, was not really shocking. No. You know? I mean, I guess in a way it was, but I feel like I wasn't surprised by that, by it being Sid. No. Who shot him. It wasn't shocking to me in retrospect. Like, once it had happened, I was I was like, yeah, every part of that makes sense. And even, as you said, I knew it was time travel. There wasn't even a second of me being like, oh, did David just die? You yeah. know, like, but I didn't expect him to get shot in that moment. Yeah. Like, he's repelling all the bullets and suddenly he's shot and the conflict is over. Mm-hmm. And his power is insufficient. And it's Switch's power that saves them. Yeah. And I, I was not... Ex- I wasn't expecting Sid to get the better of him, especially so easily. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Someone commented, I could, uh, on Twitter, uh, Colbin Erdal commented to us a thought on this episode, a different story, I'm quoting him, at Colbin Erdal, a different story might have been Sid build up all season, finally confront David and struggle with whether or not she could actually kill him. Instead, she blows him away with no hesitation. Yeah. That's an interesting choice. And I totally agree with you that once it had happened, I wasn't, I, like, I wasn't surprised by it. But as a storytelling approach. Mm Mm-hmm. We don't see her conflict. We don't see her conflict. And again, we have... Time travel, so we have the opportunity of going back to see your conflict later, but, like, I really respect this choices that this show is making of, like, let's just skip all that. Yeah. <laughs> and get to the good part. And, I mean, you say about time travel, but, like, she goes back by, like, an hour. Yeah. We're not, like, Sid's journey of I'm going to shoot David did not begin an hour ago. No, but I'm saying that the fact that time travel is important to this yeah. season makes me think the fact that they didn't show that journey yet doesn't mean they're never going to. Yes, that's true. Right? They haven't missed their chance to show that if they decide that they want to. Mm-hmm. But in terms of starting us, the David-Sid uh, conflict that has been building in between the seasons <laughs> mm-hmm. is like, bam, resolved. Yeah. Or reinforced yeah exactly so what do we think the further we go back in time the more we risk waking the demon i wonder if that's going to be a uh uh secondary antagonist for the season yeah that'll be slowly revealed you know that david isn't aware exists at first. Mm-hmm. There are consequences for your actions. Yeah. I think there's going to be some consequences for going yeah, back I guess in time. 
you can what do we what do we think of the further you back you go the more you risk waking the demon there's different ways of answering that question mm-hmm. depending on what you mean by the question because that, what does that mean i think what you just said the further back in time why is there a demon in the past because the more you go back the more things you change the more damage you do and the demon is a metaphorical representation of the cascading damage caused by regret Mm -hmm. you know and i mean we've seen multiple versions of david last season we had that whole episode where we saw a whole bunch of different possibilities for david Mm -hmm. and so we know what his past we know if we change his past any of those futures could happen yeah exactly and so like is the demon in in world is the demon a metaphor or a consciousness mm-hmm. i don't know it could be either it could be easily be either and if it is a consciousness in world that doesn't mean it's not a metaphor for the show yes that is also true so switch chooses an hour earlier and meets lenny again but then fast forwards to meeting david this time however she spies on him in his house and hears him talking to a Scottish version of himself. She tells him about his life being in danger, and he takes her upstairs. In a long shot, David defeats the others one by one, but is still shot by Sid. Switch goes back into the between place, and hears laughter in the distance. She then opens the door to two hours ago, but instead finds Farouk on the astral plane. He talks to her about David, and she tells him that David is the man and Farouk is the monster, and then she escapes him. The mul- multiple Davids, I'm happy to see multiple Davids because his name is Legion, and mm-hmm. we had, re- I mean, you just said in that we saw multiple Davids in the sense of different possible timelines, but it was quite near the end of season two that we saw, like, multiple personalities of David. Yeah. And we're reestablishing that in this episode. The, the A little bit of meta information about Scottish David is just that in the comics, David Holler is Scottish. Right. Yes, he is. And so I feel like that's a bit of a wink mm-hmm. to have him Scottish accented. Yeah. That like, he's in there somewhere. Yep. <laughs> comic, book, comic book David is in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, the hallway shot. Do you want to say more about that? We move no, you can go ahead. Okay. Yeah. The hallway shot. Uh, did you notice that that whole hallway battle scene is one shot? That's no, amazing. No cuts. And so like, you know, Farouk appears and then the people push him into another room and then he breaks through a door and David is disintegrating people and shooting them with his fingers and it's all one continuous shot. And I watched it several times because it is so impressive. Mm-hmm. Well choreographed, like amazingly choreographed. Yeah. Like, so impressive. Mm-hmm. And it's like, again, though, a big hallway fight scene in one shot is, a, is conspicuously fictional and conspicuously metatextual because it's like the show is putting itself in conversation 
in its visual language with like daredevil yeah they do the same thing right daredevil does one continuous shot fight scene hallway shot fight scene Mm-hmm. and it's i don't think that when this show does a one continuous shot hallway fight scene I think it's, again, accomplishing more than one thing at a time, because on one hand, it's just doing a really cool-looking, impressive scene. Mm -hmm. But it also is, like, again, distancing the audience from the show by making really conspicuous the artistry of this is a TV show, by making a connection to something that has been often commented on in in current superhero TV shows, Mm. right? Yes, exactly making its nature as a TV show very conspicuous. Mm -hmm. Baruch and Switch on the astral plane. You have a lot of him just talking. Mm -hmm. And it's very... uh, For want of a better word, I find it kind of like (laughs) mansplaining. That he's like... He comes in and he's just like, I know exactly what's going on here and i can lure you to my side and she's just like nope yeah i feel like it is uh we have a couple of times in this episode where we are tempted or we are they're they're leading us down the garden path to believe that switch is naive Mm-hmm. and we should know better we shouldn't be tempted to believe that she's naive after we saw her completely fail to be we saw Lenny completely fail to intimidate her. Yeah. And now Farouk is trying not to intimidate, but kind of to intimidate, to like charm and overwhelm her. And I feel like the way that it is that is staged with her just kind of silent and wide-eyed is deliberately tempting us to believe that he's going to be successful. And then it's such a strong ending of like, no, she was never considered yeah (laughs) being you know Mm -hmm. she never considered being tempted being uh persuaded by his nonsense yep exactly a little bit back from that what's the deal with her tooth oh yeah she like pulls a tooth out to travel back in time she seems to be able like we've seen her be able to slow and speed up time without much effort she just like outwardly seems to meditate or sit on her knees or something but to actually travel backwards in time requires sacrifice maybe that's what i think is it requires some kind of sacrifice so kind of sacrifice of her body Mm-hmm. i just put two things together that i'm like i feel really dumb about what's that that's coming up well just that's i questioned what sid picks up at the very end that oh. i was like is that a tooth why would that be a tooth and i'm like oh it's her tooth yes dum dum <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so i guess it requires some kind of sacrifice but like how many teeth can you possibly pull out like she can't have done this very often or there's something else or does it grow back because or it what? seems like because she pulls out a tooth both times mm. And, like, even that, you say, like, you can't pull out that many teeth. You could you could maybe have an actor pull out a tooth and we'll, we won't notice that mm-hmm. she's missing a tooth. But if she pulls out two teeth... Yeah. You'd notice that. You yeah. would notice that. You would notice that. <laughs> so she isn't missing any teeth. Mm-hmm. 
So it requires sacrifice, but the sacrifice isn't permanent? Yeah. She doesn't actually lose anything from the sacrifice. Not, not... She feels the pain. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. And then, uh, Farouk says, is it true that time travelers are always women? Yeah. Pourquoi? <laughs> regret? And we have regret again. Yeah. What does that mean? What is he, like, what is he suggesting? Time travelers are always women because of regret. Does that imply that women have more regrets or less? I assumed it meant he was meaning that they have more regrets. So was I, but we've been told by the show that regret is a hindrance to time travel. Mm. So maybe he thinks it's because they have more regret, but actually they have less? I don't know. What do you think? The sign said to not surrender to regret. And now he's saying women have regret. I don't know. And he doesn't actually say that time travelers are always women. He asks, is it true that you are always women? The voice on the tape isn't a woman. No, it's not. But is the voice on the tape a time traveler or just a time travel teacher? Mm Mm-hmm. Those who can't do teach. I guess so. (laughs) It's a cliche, but, you know, cliches are useful for metaphor and symbolism. Yep. I also, you said in your recap... Uh, that she says, he's the man and you're the monster. That's what I was expecting her to say, but that's not actually what she says. Oh, what does she say? He says, he's a man, you are a robot. Oh, yeah. I was really, I was not expecting her to say robot here. I forgot that she said robot. So how is Farouk a robot? What does she mean by that? I don't know. He's undying. He's undying. Apparently he's, he's 2,000 years old. Artificial because mm-hmm. of that. And like, there's two... On the one hand, we, we have already, like, uh, cookies are identical if they're made by the machine. So like, him being a robot, him being machinery, the forces of division are... mechanized and artificial... And we have that definitely in the imagery. They're metal and identical and and David's commune is all very organic looking. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a man and you're a robot. That's not a statement of good and evil. No. It's not because he's good and you're bad. It's because he's a man and you're a robot. And then also there's the obviously added meaning of her father collects robots. Yeah, So she exactly. is not on the robot's side. Mm-hmm. A second ago, she pretended she was a robot sometimes, but now she... Why isn't she ever going to be on Farouk's side? Because he's a robot. Mm-hmm. And she is not on the robot's side. She's on the man's side. Yeah. I really struggle to see how Farouk is a robot, but I feel like that might come out more as we, as we go. Maybe. I feel like her, what, I feel like what switch means when she calls someone a robot is idiosyncratic. And we're going to figure out what she means by that, I hope. Mm-hmm. Because I think what she means when she says he's a robot is not the same as what other people mean. And maybe it's like the yellow bus. 
Mm-hmm. We think we know what is meant when you call someone a robot, but what Switch means by a robot is not the same, I think, as what other people would mean. Good call. I think that's maybe true. So we've been on the astral plane, and uh-huh. now we are on a literal plane. <laughs> yes. In the sky. <laughs> uh, we're in the weird striped division plane. Uh, Farouk is walking down the hall. Uh, Carrie and Carrie are making an Yay. artificial patonomy. Yay! So uh, <laughs> the mainframe is now in a robotic patonomy body. So now we have a robot. Uh, Clark and his husband, Daniel, are discussing strategy. And Farouk approaches them and tells them about the time traveler. They locate David, and Clark wants to just drop a bomb, and Daniel wants to send in a team. Clark says they'll just kill the time traveler as well. Sid pulls books off a shelf and paces around reading. Farouk tells her they have him, and she insists on going with the team. The team drive to David using helmets that Carrie has designed to block David's mind reading. Mm Mm-hmm. We see squirrels capture from the other side this time with the hook. There is a pulse. Patonomy loses connection to the ground. And back on the ground, the house is now a giant crater. Sid picks up a tooth from the ground. And we get our opening credit legion (laughs) written on toy robots with a little robot version of Switch in the foreground. End credits. (laughs) Okay, first, why is the airplane rain, uh, zebra striped? Camouflage. It's not camouflage. <laughs> All the zebras aren't camouflage. <laughs> <laughs> why are zebra? When it comes to that, why are zebras zebra striped? Tall, that tall seem that grass, fall tall no, grass. No, I just don't accept it. Black and white stripes makes them stand out. Like use your eyes. That is not camouflage. But anyway, that's getting off topic. Why is the plane camouflage? Is it just weird? Is it just so that there's it's, so that it's weird looking? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's just weird. It's just weird for the sake of weird. I didn't mention it in the recap, but Carrie, uh, female Carrie, punches fake photography, <laughs> <laughs> and it is the best. I need to test his reflexes. Bam! Slow. Slow. <laughs> I. I feel so much joy seeing Carrie and... I mean, we saw Carrie briefly with her katana, but that was unsatisfying. Yeah. Seeing them actually being themselves gave me so much joy. And seeing Patonomy again, despite him being very, very different now, Mm -hmm. also, like, made me so happy. I love the... Why does he have a mustache? Well, they have mustaches, so I thought... uh... Yeah. (laughs) It's very Carrie logic. Yep. Um, Love this whole interaction of Carrie Carrie and Patonomy. Yeah. It's Yeah, it's great to see our characters. It's great. I'm so glad that actor is still on the show. Yep. Despite him being very, very different from his previous character. We'll see. I'm curious if the show, if this season is about robots, if we have this new, like, robot Patonomy... Is he going to change? Is he is any part of Patonomy, the man we knew before, going to be a part of this new robotic Patonomy? And what will that say about the nature of robots and everything? I think, 
I think we get a hint that there is the patonomy we knew there, and it's a joke, but the when he says, why do I have a mustache? Yeah. That's the him that isn't, like, and it's a, even an ironic juxtaposition, because mm. he says, I'm not patonomy. Why do I have a mustache? And he even delivers it way more human mm. in yeah. affect. That's true. That's like saying that, because why would, the mainframe doesn't care. Yeah. It's patonomy who cares that suddenly he has a mustache. Yeah. That's true. Um, do you, did you notice uh, what Sid's books? No. I, I noticed her tattoos, but I didn't pay attention to the books. I tried really hard to catch the titles of the books, and I only caught one of them. But one of the books she has is The Waves by Virginia Woolf. Hmm. Now, unfortunately, I haven't read The Waves by Virginia Woolf, so I can only say what I have heard from other people. But The Waves is an, a modernist book, uh, novel, an experimental novel without a narrator that's in five sections, and each section is told by a different character from their perspective. Hmm. Or maybe it's four Four sections. There are five characters, four narrators, all talking about the fifth character who never gets to narrate and tell things from his perspective. Interesting. I like... That feels significant. Yeah. What would you make of that? Well, I definitely feel like there's a lot about characters' perspectives in this show. Yeah. And, and I'm not sure exactly, but it does feel significant that you would have a book like that represented. Right? Right. And I wish, if any of you listening know Virginia Woolf's The Waves better than I do, which is not at all. <laughs> I mean, I know. And better than I do, which is less than not at all. Like, like, fill us in on whether you see a significance to that book. Because I suspect that there is a significance. And even if the only significance is that, that it's different characters telling from their own perspective, and they don't necessarily see the world the same way, and we don't really understand the world of the book until we have seen all four characters and the main arguably the main character that they are all obsessed with never really gives us his perspective mm-hmm. now on legion we david does give us his perspective yes he sure does so that makes me wonder like whose perspective are we not getting mm. i was gonna say almost like farouk's perspective but we're kind of getting more of that this season so mm-hmm. i don't know you said her tattoos. Do you want to say yeah, something Yeah, so her, she has tattoos that says me first, mm-hmm. which is a whole new thing. And so, I mean, based on the on the on what happened last season, she needs to remind herself to, to, to put herself first. Yeah. And it, not to put David first, I guess, is I really guess. what it is. It's an interesting, uh, because, and the me is like, also has a tattoo of her face. Yeah. And it's interesting knowing that Sid changes bodies with people. Yeah. And her body has a tattoo that says me and a picture of her face mm-hmm. on it. Yeah. So she always knows where she is. Yeah. Really. And that like putting markers on your own, on your body when you're someone who leaves your body, that seems like both 
like, kind of practical in a memento kind of way, and also futile. Yeah. And then also, I like, me first seems like simultaneously, like, self-care, mental health, you know, don't diminish yourself, make yourself small and invisible, and also, like, a supervillain mantra. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> bo- you can it's both. Do- Take that either way. Yeah. Right? Because I'm very much like, I see that and I'm like, hell yeah, Sid, you should be me first. Stop diminishing yourself for David. But on the other hand, I'm like, mm, Me first. Is that isn't the best not... motto in the world. No. Right? Yep, exactly. I am super happy to see uh, Clark's husband again. Me too. I don't know if he was even in season two at all. I can't remember, but like... Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I didn't even know his name until this episode, so it's Daniel. And their little, like, jokey relationship about who's the boss. And, like, it's just, I I always like Clark as humanized as possible. Yeah, me too. Because he's a really compelling character. Me too. And so to have his husband there is, uh, continues to help humanize him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And their disagreements. And Clark is so just like, just bomb them off the face of the earth. Just do it. And everyone else is like, yeah, but there's like innocent people. But no, actually. Again, Clark says just bomb them. And Daniel's like, no, we can't bomb them. And it, I expect it to be because of collateral damage. But no, the reason that he gives is because we won't be sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a good point, too. Dan- Daniel doesn't care about collateral damage either. Mm-hmm. He just, if you drop a bomb, you'll never know whether you got him or not. Mm. We need someone to Pinpoint. testify to it. And in a show and a world where, like, you can't trust what someone sees. Mm-hmm. Exactly. There's <laughs> like, that seems also really naive. That, like, mm-hmm. get a team on the ground and... Uh, kill them themselves that is still not a guarantee yeah exactly yeah and what happens in the end it almost looks like a bomb was dropped yeah that's the interesting thing that's it's true like, i didn't think of that they're left with a big crater like they dropped a bomb which they didn't do hmm. um so these helmets yeah tell me about those per- terry perry carry <laughs> wow brain <laughs> work please Carrie makes helmets to, uh, he incorporates it into the soldiers, but then also just gives them kind of like halos, much like David had. And this is like, it's Magneto's helmet. Yeah. This is, in an X-Men world, there is a character who wears a helmet that stops people from reading his mind, and that is Magneto. And so Carrie has designed Magneto helmets for everyone. Which is very interesting, because Magneto's a villain. Yeah, but... He's like, a complicated villain. Yeah, exactly. And so we have this kind of villain iconography mm-hmm. put out there for for these people that we still see as good guys. Like, I really see Carrie as a good guy. Yeah. And so, uh, but then he's making the Magneto thing. And it's really complicated because all through season two, I never saw Division Three as, I never fully accepted Division Three as good guys. Yeah, absolutely. But I never, but I always accepted Carrie as a good guy. Yeah. 
And now it's even more complicated. Yeah, exactly. Because I also like, Farouk's not a good guy. No, why is Farouk just suddenly accepted as part of their team? And this is something we talked a lot about in season two, and I suspect we'll talk a lot about in this season, that I think that is part of the mission statement of this entire show to complicate that the good guys, the bad guys. Yeah. And that this is not like the show forgot who's good and who's bad. The show is more aware than most superhero, and frankly, more aware than most TV is. Frankly, more aware than most fiction is. That there aren't good guys and bad guys. Yeah. Like, in a really profound way, there aren't. Mm-hmm. And that's a, a a lot of narratives give lip service to that. There aren't good guys and bad guys. But, like, every character on this show and every character's position and every character's uh, situation, it is not so much that it's complicated and nuanced as that it is extremely intensely self-contradictory. Mm-hmm. So they're not they're not saying there's no one's a good guy and a bad guy because everyone has ex- nuanced perspectives. They're saying like extreme self-contradiction within teams, within groups. There are supervillains, monstrous supervillains on the same team as those trying to save the world who are maybe doing it for the wrong reason mm-hmm. to like and everyone's motives are so unclear to themselves and to us and their allies are their their allegiances are precarious and illogical mhm and i think one of the purposes of all of that is to make it just impossible for the viewer to know which team to be rooting for. Yep, exactly. Yep. And even, like, even who's the... Like, even classic story structure. Classic story structure, you have the protagonist, you have the antagonist. The protagonist isn't necessarily the good guy, but they're the central actor who drives the conflict forward. But who's the protagonist anymore? Legion is the name... Like, Legion is David's show, but the protagonist of this episode was Switch. Yeah. And a TV show can do that, can have a protagonist of an episode and a protagonist of a show and a protagonist of a season. And, like, Mm -hmm. the big twist, the big, uh, the way that people talked about the end of season two in Legion fandom. Like, it turns out Sid was the hero. And then a lot of people got really mad about that. Yeah. Uh, And, like... It didn't. We can also say rather than Sid was the hero, like it was Sid the protagonist, or is Farouk the protagonist, or who's? Where do the lines of structural conflict lie? And I think that uh, Noah Hawley is very aware of and able to follow classical narrative structure if he feels like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he does not. But part of the purpose of this show is to deny you, the viewer, the satisfaction of having the show follow the Mm. narrative structure that you expect. Yeah, exactly. This time we see uh, Squirrel's capture with the hook from, like, the Division side. Yeah. And it's no clearer. (laughs) No. Absolutely no clearer. It's like, (laughs) 
we've got a bunch of guns, get the hook. And they use a hook to pull, like, it, like zero difference. <laughs> it just makes no sense. <laughs> it's like the giant tuning fork. Yes, exactly. It's like this giant, this implausible object. Mm-hmm. It's given this importance and gravitas, even though it's absurd. Yeah, exactly. It yeah. is just ridiculous and funny. So the Legion credits come over, are made out of robots. Yeah. And then a clearly, like, robot switch in the foreground walking across. So we definitely are getting, like, a big hint of this is something this is about. I mean, this is clearly something this episode is about, but maybe this is something the whole season is about. And what does it mean that the credits are so late in the episode? Yeah, that is something we could talk about about the whole show. Mm-hmm. Where the, the credits are always in weird places. They're either right at the beginning, or sometimes they're right in the middle, sometimes they're way at the end. And it's another alienating and, uh, like, Brechtian device mm-hmm. of drawing conspicuous attention to the artificiality of the medium. Yeah. But I don't think that's all there is to it. Because we expect the credits... Like, standard is that the opening credits are at the beginning... And if they're not at the beginning, they're after a cold open. And mm-hmm. what they signify is that what has happened before the credits is a preamble. Yeah, And then exactly. the story really begins. So in that case, this entire episode is preamble? I think it is. I think that's exactly what it's saying. Mm-hmm. Is this this whole is just a setup for the season. Yep. You spent 20 minutes on a character that we just met. It's preamble. Yep. And now, once we've watched this episode... Now we're ready to start the season. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Please stand by. Please stand by. (laughs) Uh, Did you want to talk a bit about the music in this episode? Yes. There are three songs uh, with with lyrics that we hear in this uh, episode. Mm -hmm. The first, during the, what we have, I guess, decided to call the Gap commercial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, what they're singing is Something for Your Mind by Superorganism. I'm unfamiliar with this band. I tried to figure it out. I get the impression that the actors, that the people we see on the screen are the band. Mm. I, kinda, I, I may be wrong about that, and correct me if you know better than me, but tr- looking through the notes and the credits and the... It seemed to me like... The band on screen. Yeah, cool. So the something for your mind. Uh, the words are: I know you think I'm a psychopath, a Democrat lurking in the dark. This sucks. I'm the Kmart soda jerk, Cirque to trash. I kept the stash of coca of cocoa candy straight from Japan. Hologram and she was never as near. I think you know what I need to get by. Something for your mind, 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 mind. I know you think I'm a sociopath. My lovely prey, I'm a cliche. Make way I'm in my Pepsi mood. Mama needs food, how about a barbecue? For us, the bourgeoisie, so carefree. Remember when we... I don't know what you need to get by. Something for your mind, 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 mind. Hmm. So there's a couple of things to draw attention to there. First of all, like the title, Something for Your Mind 
in the context of the show, like, this is an emphasis on psychedelia, on yeah. something for your mind, the something, uh, by implication, is pharmaceutical, drugs for your mind, to expand your mind, or to control your mind, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then we have immediately switch walking through to the drug world, or crawling through, or being reborn into the cult. The lyrics are, you know, incomprehensible. A lot of the time, like it's all, there's, we can tease out and unpack imagery and symbolism, but it, it is, it isn't making a coherent, logical, rational sense, the lyrics. Mm -hmm. And that also is meaningful for this episode, which isn't making necessarily coherent, rational sense. Yeah. Absolutely. And then the each verse, like, I know you think I'm a psychopath. I know you think I'm a sociopath. I feel like this is clearly David is the I mm-hmm. speaking this lines. Yeah. That we ended the last episode thinking Dave... I mean, Sid ended the last episode thinking that David is a psychopath. Mm-hmm. We, when I say we, I know that it was a uh, source of hot contention among Legion fans. But the show ended season two giving the impression that David is a psychopath. And then we start this season, not start, but early in this season we have, I know you think I'm a psychopath. Mm-hmm. You need something to get by. <laughs> when uh, Switch arrives in the cult, in David's commune, what is playing is 2,000 Light Years From Home by the Rolling Stones. Um, Rolling Stones have been important. Mm-hmm. All, I mean, Sid is Sid Barrett. We've mentioned this talking about uh, her name in season one. But Sid Barrett is a founding member of the Rolling Stones. Um, and we've had several Rolling Stones songs throughout this show. 2,000 Light Years From Home by the Rolling Stones, the lyrics go, Sun turning round with graceful motion, we're setting off with soft explosion, bound for a star with fiery oceans. It's so very lonely when you're a hundred light years from home. Freezing red deserts turn to dark, energy here in every part. It's so very lonely you're 600 light years from home. It's so very lonely you're a thousand light years from home. It's so very lonely you're a thousand light years from home. Bell Flight 14, you now can land. Seen you on all, all the Baran, safe on the green desert stand. I wanted to say Alderan, but the, but the Rolling Stones are not making a Star Wars reference at this point. <laughs> Sadly. <laughs> it's so very lonely, you're 2,000 light years from home. It's so very lonely, you're 2,000 light years from home. And this, I thought it was appropriate to title the episode because, I mean, the narrative of the song is going further and further and further away from home. Mm-hmm. We have... And she crawls through this, like, endless tunnel. Exactly. We have Switch literally journeying away from where she was and metaphorically and symbolically going away from the things that are familiar and comfortable to her. Mm-hmm. And then we have... We we keep saying, you and I, that this episode is alienating the viewer. Mm-hmm. And so we're 2,000 light years from home. This episode is not welcoming us in. 
it's pushing us away and we're distant from the episode. Yeah. And then the last song... Can, can I just point out one oh, thing real yes. quick? Uh, Sid Barrett is Pink Floyd, not the Rolling Oh Stones. no! I'm so stupid! <laughs> I knew that even! Why did I say that? Yeah. Ugh. You can't go back and edit it out now. But... Well, I'm just going to leave it in and you viewers, you listeners can be shouting at me until Jan corrects me. I knew that. I just said it stupidly. It's, it's because okay. the first, when she first appears, we have a Rolling Stones song. Yeah. Okay. The last song, uh, Fly Like an Eagle by the Steve Miller, Steve Miller Band. It seems like the version, uh, I didn't have confirmation of this, but it sure seems like the version we hear in this episode is Noah Hawley and Jeff Russo. Yeah, it sounds like Noah Hawley. We heard, we've heard him sing so many times now that I feel like I recognize his voice. Yep. And the lyrics to that... Time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. Time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. I want to fly like an eagle to the sea, fly like an eagle, let my spirit carry me. I want to fly like an eagle till I'm free. Oh Lord, through the revolution, feed the babies who don't have enough to eat, shoe the children with no shoes on their feet. How's the people living in the street? Oh, there's a solution. I want to fly like an eagle to the sea, fly like an eagle, let my spirit carry me. I want to fly like an eagle till I'm free, fly through the revolution. Time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. I want to fly like an eagle, etc. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, time is the future. That's pretty on the nose. Yeah, I mean, like, the most obvious significance of that is just time keeps on slipping. Mm-hmm. Into the future is extra, but just the time keeps on slipping. Time isn't where you left it mm-hmm. in this episode, and we're cued to expect, and I expect, in this season, and kind of in this show all along, but especially now. Into the future, though, we keep going into the past. Yeah. Time keeps on slipping into the future. You went to the future last season. We did. And they're like... In the song, the meaning of time keeps on slipping into the future isn't about time travel. It's about uh, things keep happening. Mm-hmm. You can't stop where you are. And that's maybe a secondary, like, you can have time travel, but time keeps slipping into the future anyway. Mm-hmm. You can go into the past and even change it, but it keeps going forward at the same time. You know? All, yeah. all along, it keeps going forward. And then the other thing... That I want to draw attention to in this song is that it's about the revolution. Yeah. And David wants to change the world. You say you want a revolution? Okay. Um, that David wants, I mean, he doesn't say a revolution, but David wants to fix the world and change the world and turn the world into something different. And the danger that we have is that he's going to end the world. Mm-hmm. And that's time keeps slipping into the future towards the revolution. Mm -hmm. There's a sense of inevitability that David is going to do something to the world. Yeah. Actually, one more bit of music before I end, and that is... Or two more, I guess. Are the classical music. While Switch is having breakfast with her father, we hear Vivaldi's Four Seasons, and the season is winter. Hmm. Because her relationship with her father is cold. Mm Mm-hmm. And while Sid and Farouk 
discuss the plan, we hear Joachim Rath's Da Siegfried erschlagen war, the death of Siegfried. That means Siegfried or Sigurd is a German mythological hero who killed a monster and was later murdered. And hmm. so we have Sid and Farouk talking about David, and the music playing is about a hero who killed a monster and then was betrayed and murdered. Interesting. <laughs> it kind of situates that conversation, I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, let me make it clear, I'm suggesting that David is a stand-in for Siegfried. Yes. Yeah. And Farouk's the monster and Sid's the betrayer. Is what that song makes me think. Did you want to talk about the costumes? I do. And it's been a while since I've really talked about clothing on Legion. Because there wasn't a lot last season that I felt strongly about. But this episode, we have this introduction of Switch as a character. Her clothes are like nothing we've seen before in this show. Mm -hmm. This show is all about monochromatic colors on people we have orange we have black we have green we have uh like an off-white color on on melanie like it's very strong with like a single color on Mm -hmm. people and various shades and switch is wearing bright patterns she's got a big like furry big bird coat (laughs) at one point Uh she is completely unlike anything we've seen before and i feel like it's because she is this character out of time she is showing us a brand new thing she's a brand new mutant or whatever she uh she is patterns she is mix she is like nothing we've met and her clothing really shows that they also change her clothing. The yeah. whole scene in the with the musical number, they surround her and they change her clothing. Her headphones go from uh, red to to white. Yeah, and there's a real connection with between her and Lenny, a first season Lenny who wore these headphones all the time, mm-hmm. and now we have another character who does that. And I feel like Lenny's headphones were red early on. I know they were black later, mm-hmm. but I feel like early mental hospital Lenny had red headphones. Don't quote me on that. I'd have to go back and check. But then they get changed to white. They get these, these stark white headphones that both like, it's a change to purity. It's taking something away from her, but also uh, white headphones weren't a thing until the iPod. Yep. That is, like, it was a big deal to have these white headphones to, like, be like, I'm wearing white headphones when when the iPod came out, you know, 10 years ago. So uh, that is, like, a futuristic thing on her mm-hmm. to have yeah. her in with white headphones. Also, just in terms to interrupt for yeah. just a moment about the color iconography, because red and white... Uh, you said white for purity, but in Chi- she's listening to Chinese, to Mandarin through the headphones, and in Chinese color symbolism, white is death. Right, and red is celebration. And red is celebration and luck. 
So in Western color symbology, red is maybe death or danger or stop or maybe love. And white is purity and uh, innocence and, uh, you know, a clean slate. Mm-hmm. But the Chinese color symbolism is is quite different. And she's listening to Chinese through the headphones. Yeah, that's true. Um, and then when she meets Squirrel, he's like, he compliments her outfit and says it's very two days from now or yeah. something. Which is very clever for her being a time traveler and just like... She is different than anyone we've met. Mm-hmm. She is a different, a whole different era, almost. And it's too like all David's uh, cult members wear tie dye, but their tie dye is not like is not monochromatic, but it gives kind of the impression of monochromatic. And there's always lights behind them, yeah, that are lighting them very monochromatically. Whereas she's just not ever. Yeah, not at all. Uh, the other person I want to bring attention to is David. Mm-hmm. He is wearing this like pseudo Indian kurta that mm-hmm. is very cult leader in the sixties, <laughs> cult leader in the seventies. <laughs> like it's very a seventies kind of aesthetic with like this pseudo like Eastern mythology idea. Um, it's kind of you know what the Beatles started wearing yeah. in the late sixties. But it's still in his psych ward orange. Hmm. So he's wearing uh, what could almost be seen in from Western eyes as pajamas. Yeah. In in the psych ward orange, and so he's still not out of that uh, that psych ward ward uh, costume. That's, that's still a big part of him. That's interesting. That's mm-hmm. good. Yeah. So. And we continue to have Sid all in black. She hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. Mm. And uh, same with Carrie. Uh, female Carrie is in her same outfit. I didn't notice male Carrie's outfit, but they seem like they're about the same. He's still wearing a suit. Yeah. Like a three-piece suit. There you go. The that, color so, scheme, I don't know. but Yeah, he's kind of brownish colors yeah. usually. Uh, so you have, they're static characters that haven't had an, an altering Whereas the other ones, are, we're kind of seeing some differences here. But, so that's, yeah, that's the clothing. Do you uh, have anything more to to say? Just that all that clothing stuff is really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I am very excited about this season. Me too. I'm very excited about this show. Oh, we should mention that there's no Melanie and Oliver. No. The end of the yeah. last season, they were, like, in the future in their ice cube. Yeah. So, like, are they gone? Are they gone from are the they show? Come back? I really hope that we see them again. I know. I really want them back. Oh. But we'll see. Yeah. Uh. So. Yeah. I am ecstatic to do more this season. Me too. I'm raring to go. I enormously regret not only for you listeners, but for my mostly for my own sake that we had to delay starting because of sickness and life and things just got in the way a little bit. And it was I have been I have been so anxious to get going. So mm-hmm. I'm so glad we finally are. I can't wait to get into episode two. And episode three has aired by the time we're recording this. Um, 
expect episodes as soon as we can pump them out. Yep, exactly. Uh, I have, before we wrap up on uh, Clockworks, I want to plug another thing that I'm doing these days, which is called Clockworks Academy, which is a, you can find it online at clockworksacademy.com. And at clockworksacademy.com, I use my training. I have a PhD in medieval literature and I teach literature in university. Uh, And at Clockworks Academy, I teach online courses about monsters. And so there's one going on right now about werewolves. If you listen to this episode, you uh, do have time to join that course, even though the date has passed. We haven't really gotten going yet. Um, And there's Dracula, and there's Frankenstein, and there's other things coming up in the future. I'm very excited about it. If you like the kinds of things... I mean, if you like me... (laughs) If you like me at all... uh, I really encourage you to check out Clockworks Academy. Tell your friends. I'm really excited about it. And that's clockworksacademy.com. Yes, absolutely. You should all check that out. It's amazing. I am, as an unbiased person, <laughs> love it very much. Um, so if you like us, if you want to support us, you can find our Patreon, patreon.com slash clockworkscast. As usual, please engage with us on Twitter, on uh any other social media you favor uh, clockworkscast at gmail.com and twitter is at clockworkscast as usual you can link to those all in our show notes you can just click to through it's a lot easier just to do that yeah and we'll respond we might not respond to the if we don't respond to you on twitter directly it's because we're saving a response to say on the podcast yes exactly thank you for joining us I've been Paul Moffat I've been Jan Moffat Goodbye.